Welcome back to the Trojans Talk Podcast, Championship Week Edition. This is everything you want from a college football matchup. Everything. The stakes. USC, number four in the CFP rankings this week. The Trojans win. They are in the playoff. In the playoff. If they win, they will assuredly clinch a Heisman Trophy for Caleb Williams. And it all comes against the pesky Utah Utes, who, of course, threw this whole season into a little bit of upheaval on October 15th with that dramatic 43-42 Utah win over USC in Salt Lake City on the bold two-point conversion call in the final minutes after tight end Dalton Kincaid had an entire career in one afternoon against the Trojans' defense. Certainly a lot went into that game. The injuries to Eric Gentry and Jordan Addison, the questionable officiating calls on the, on the roughing the passers that really altered the tenor of the game early. Uh, there's no way around that. Just a really tough day for, for USC. But as I wrote on the site this week, when you hear the players talk about it now, it's, it's not looked back on with regret or lament. It's looked back on as, as kind of a – the moment that everything elevated for this team. As Justin Dietrich has put it multiple times, it was when it was the moment that he realized what this team was made of and, and was truly capable of when he saw the reaction and how much guys cared in the locker room and he just saw a different level of hurt to that loss than he'd ever seen and certainly he'd been through a lot of losses here in his time at USC. And Caleb Williams even came out and said it was a different locker room following a loss than he'd been a part of. It was just more positive. I mean, there, was, there was the the emotion and the disappointment, but then there was this resolve that this is not going to be the end of these goals, that they can still get there and no margin for error the rest of the way. And they certainly handled it the right way and kind of uh, recalibrating and, and knowing what they have to do the rest of the way to get here. And now it's all there for them. It's all there for this team. Got to give Lincoln Riley credit. He, every time we asked about the rankings, hey, every time he goes, I don't, you know, I just, I've been through this too many times to know that if you just keep winning, things usually work out. And after that Utah game, I think that USC had dropped to, what, like number 12 people. And many people didn't see a path for them to make it to the playoff. But he said that night, he goes, I, I've been through this before. If you take care of business, things have a way of working out. And he just kept saying that and kept saying it. And sure enough, all the other dominoes uh, around them have kind of fallen into place. And uh, it's, it's a win in their end situation. Incredible. I, I wrote a column on Monday about the one-year anniversary of USC hiring Riley. And just what the players recall from those first few days and how they look back on it all now and the historical context of what he's done in one year and just how rare it is across college football history to have a first-year coach take over a program in such disarray and get it to such heights in his first year. Obviously, the advent of the transfer portal has changed the complexion of, of you know program building and makes it a little more feasible to, to make drastic change in one year. And... He certainly utilized that to the fullest, but it's still got to do it. And here they are. We have two guests today. I shouldn't call him a guest. I mean, he's this is home. This is home for him. Max Brown, a resident TrojanSports.com analyst for the last four years, has been a, a staple of this podcast. Uh, we got Max on for a segment, but I wanted to save room to also bring on our Utah insider, Alex Markham from Ute Nation, who really is a, a great reporter out there has a real pulse for that program and team and always has excellent insight we become good friends over the years and uh, he just always knows exactly what's going on with, with the utah utes and so he comes on and gives a, a great perspective and breakdown from that side of this matchup so that is our show i normally go straight into the segments i want to do something a little different this week i want to pay a little more spotlight to the caleb williams Heisman buzz and just the overall reaction to his otherworldly play. And I want to play some clips from the interviews this week leading up to the game. 
after the game Saturday, one of the main storylines, obviously, was was Caleb Williams, uh, you know, moving into the forefront of the Heisman race. Once Ohio State and C.J. Stroud lost, it really seemed like the path was clear for Caleb. And we asked him after the game Saturday, and he really sidestepped that question uh, as if it were an oncoming pass rusher, um, like he does, and didn't really want to engage on it. But we talked to him Tuesday after practice, and he was a little more forthcoming about what the Heisman would mean to him and and kind of where his mind's at with that. I'll play that clip. There was a great clip from right guard Justin Dietrich about what it's like to block for Caleb when he's doing his scramble drill and keeping plays going for endless amounts of time. I want to play that one for you. And then Kyle Whittingham, Utah's head coach, had some really strong comments about Caleb Williams. Had the two quotes in his press conference this week, and I want to get into those as well. Um, so I'm just going to play those four clips for you back to back to back to back. And then we'll turn to the segments. But uh, it was good stuff. Here's Caleb to start. Uh, I, uh, I started to ask you more about the Heisman probably around 10, 11, 12 years old. Um, and it's been a goal of mine because uh, I think I'm the best. And that's one of the, one of the trophies that um, kind of represents that. So uh, when I was younger, um, for sure, you know, it's, it was on my mind uh, a little bit more. Now, um, but now since being in college, um, right now still being the best player. I thought that last year when I was playing, I thought it before I came into college, um, and so um, just certain confidence, but not necessarily focused on that. Um, since I've been in college, it's been more of a um, I want to go to the playoffs, I want to win, um, I want to go win championships with, um, with the team that I'm on. All right, that was Caleb Williams, and let's get you to Justin Dietrich. Maybe the best quote on this team consistently. This is Dietrich talking about the play where Caleb pretty much ran in a, in a complete circle around the Notre Dame defense on Saturday uh, before taking off and getting a big game in his legs. But it was just a, a classic Caleb Williams uh, play. And uh, I think that Dietrich really puts it in perspective what it's like to be on the field for one of those. I didn't know who to block, man. I was just like, <laughs> I went right, I went left, I was like, What's he gonna do? I thought maybe he was gonna slide, and I, like I was watching it, I kind of looked like a dummy. I was just running around <laughs> my head, like, but it's just unbelievable the, the thing he, can, the things he can do out there. So. I guess you don't really think about that for the linemen when it's spinning around. Like you're, you're find yourself like blocking someone into like where Caleb is yeah. going just on accident. Like that happened to me actually the end of the UCLA game. Um, a lot to I pushed him right into Caleb and he got a sack, and I was like, ah. Oh. <laughs> so. Um, Sometimes it's just best to, you know, let him do his magic and just watch, spectate. <laughs> so, just sort of stand in the yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, that's Justin Dietrich. And let's give you some Kyle Whittingham, huh? Caleb Williams was great the first time you played him. He's been great every game. Show me a game where he's not great. Yeah. Is, he, is he even better now that he's, whatever, six more games in? I would say yes. I think he just keeps getting better and better. He's maybe the most difficult quarterback to sack that we've ever come across that is also a great uh, throwing threat. I mean, we've, we've played some athletic quarterbacks that were really like a wide receiver playing QB or whatever, but as far as a true QB, uh, nobody harder to sack than that guy. He keeps the plays alive. He extends the plays. He keeps his eyes downfield incredibly well during the scrambles. You know, he very rarely glances at the rush. He's always just seeing it peripherally, and he seems like he's got eyes in the back of his head. I mean, some of the escapes that he has are... are uh, just fantastic and so yeah and he's only 20 years old you know second year out of high school a true sophomore so what he's doing is is pretty uh well very impressive and odds on favorite to win the heisman i guess if that's you know what the you know what we're hearing nationally that's part one of winningham and, and he was asked about it again later on and had another great comment so here's winningham part two on caleb williams getting pressure with four is one thing and keeping him keeping him caged in is another. I mean, you can get there, but you can't sack him because he's so elusive and he's strong, too. I mean, he is so strong. There's so many defenders during the course of the season that have dripped right off him because you just can't get him down. And so it's not as much a function of how many you're bringing, but try to keep him in a cage and not let him get out on the edges because when he gets out on the edges, he's dangerous. I mean, he's dangerous anywhere, but particularly dangerous when he escapes outside. All right, so just a little taste of, of the press conferences from this week. You can certainly watch all of USC's press conferences on TrojanSports.com. They're all up there from the week. We talked to the four team captains, Caleb included, 
and Lincoln Riley, of course, and Alex Grinch. But right now, we're going to talk to Max Brown, our resident Trojansports.com analyst, and get this show going. And we're back onto the show every week, almost every week, every week that we're doing it. Our resident Trojansports.com analyst, the former USC quarterback, Max Brown. Max, good to have you back again. A lot to discuss. How are you doing? Good to be back. Yeah, another win. Great week, and hopefully a great week ahead, too. Pac-12 championship week, a short week for the Trojans, a short week for Trojansports.com, getting all this content ready to go for Friday. So we head to Las Vegas, USC versus Utah, the rematch, all the stakes on the line in the Pac-12 title game. Um, obviously, uh, you know, I expected a little bit more drama this week, but like everything has fallen into place with the playoff. USC up to number four in the rankings this week. So it's pretty simple and clear when and they are in the playoff. What, what a sentence to be saying uh, for this team, this program, incredible. And and then Caleb Williams, really not much more to prove in the Heisman race. He pretty much took care of it last week. The path was cleared when Michigan blew out Ohio State, really knocked C.J. Stroud kind of out of the picture or, or down in the picture, and all Caleb had to do was play well versus Notre Dame, and of course he did again. So that's pretty much locked up, barring some just – you know, unforeseen scenario. But, of course, there is still work to be done. USC must win this game. Max, set the stage for us. How special of a week is this for USC football? Yeah, it's huge. And uh, obligated to just, you know, reminisce on where we were 12 months ago. Um, I remember doing the Lincoln Riley press conference, and obviously we were we were excited uh, a year ago about, you know, the, the new movement. But the fact that it's happened this quickly is remarkable. And I sense... That storyline is, is well documented, and I feel like everyone's saying it, but we're doing a disservice if uh, we don't acknowledge it again just because it is – it's ridiculous. I mean, this was a bad football team last year at 4-8, and eight, and now we're 11-1 and one with everything we want ahead of us. And barring unforeseen circumstances, we have the, the Heisman Trophy winner in year one of the Lincoln Rally era, which is um, ridiculous. I think, I think for this week, though, obviously opportunity versus Utah, and it's, it's somewhat – you know, symbolic in terms of Utah's been the program that's that, that's climbing every year for the past five years, and really has been the class of the conference the past the past few years. And so, uh, SC, you know, obviously taking taking their uh, their position back, or at least an opportunity to do so. Um, it is funny the mind games that both head coaches are playing. Kyle Whittingham is talking up the underdog role from Utah, right. which if you stop, you're like, wait a sec, Utah beat USC, but <laughs> I I, uh, I don't blame him. He keeps talking that up. And then on the flip side, Lincoln Rowley's message to the team, we talked with Tui Tui Pelotu on Monday, and, and Lincoln said, hey, don't buy into this revenge story. That, that That's not what this is about. This is about us. It's about USC. And so you can uh, see two world-class head coaches work their craft and uh, play mind games. Not mind games, but uh, position their team accordingly. No, mind games. Go with it. I, I was going to go there myself. It's it's one of my favorite uh, traditions in college football is is the non-underdog to build themselves into this uh, backs against the wall, all odds against this team. The funniest, I think, in recent years was, was always Alabama. There'd be one player would go, no one thought we could do this, and here we are. And every single person expected you to do this. In the case of Utah, it's you know it's definitely a toss-up game, but no underdogs here. You know, however Whittingham wants to play it is his prerogative. But with the mind games, uh, I wanted to carry that further and go to Lincoln Riley last week in the post-game press conference. Says I was sick and tired of hearing everyone say how Notre Dame was just going to run all over us and how we couldn't stop them and and this and that. And very uncharacteristic of him, after the game, he goes back and finds an old tweet from John Wilner, the venerable Pac-12 columnist for the Bay Area News Group, that had some reference to Notre Dame rushing for 800 yards or whatever against this USC defense, and retweets it with a, with a fight-on emoji. Which is so funny because those that follow John Wilner, like he is not a, a hot take guy. Like he doesn't right. he doesn't live in that world. So the fact that Lincoln's first time he's calling a reporter out is that <laughs> I was I was cracking up. Shows the new wave of social media head coaching. He really got the message through to the team last week. He said we have to be the team that they expect Notre Dame to be. We have to be the team that is more physical in the trenches on both sides of the ball. We're the team that's gonna gonna run all over them. We're going to stop their run. And he just kind of willed it into existence, it seems like, because 
anyone who had watched those two teams all season would have been in their right mind to think it would go the other way in that aspect of the game. I mean, both you and I picked USC to win. We thought they would win, but I thought it would be more of a struggle, and it wasn't. The game was never closer than 10 points after halftime because mainly a 204-90 to rushing advantage for the Trojans, which I don't know what the odds would have been on that entering the game, but but uh, astronomical probably. And we don't have to, to sell Lincoln's accolades at this point. He's done it himself uh, over and over again. But to go back to the one-year thing, it, it's not overstating it. It needs to be talked about as much as possible. It's incredible. And Monday was the one-year anniversary of his hire. And so I went back and did a big column and uh, kind of looked back through all of his comments through the year. And and this had struck me the entire time, like in, in real time. And I've mentioned it many times. But we gave him every out from his first press conference to signing day to the start of the spring ball to just kind of couch expectations a little bit and say, you know what? This is going to be a process where we're building a new program. It takes time. And he doubled down every time and said, we expect to win championships every year. Just like that. There was no no give. There was no qualifying it. And so after the game Saturday, he was asked, did you really think this could happen? I mean, did you, did you really believe that this could happen year one? And he said, I wouldn't say yes or no. I just didn't think of it in those terms, but... I told you guys all along what our goal was, and uh, you all thought I was crazy. That's okay. I didn't think he was crazy. I thought he was, you know, he was setting the expectation and standard where he wanted it to be. But credit to him, he he called it. The question I would love to ask behind closed doors to to Lincoln Riley or a few years from now is, you know, how aware uh, was he the impact the transfer portal would have? Because, you know. That, that's one thing that I underestimate how quickly the, the, the turnaround could happen because I, I hadn't seen someone raid the portal like that. I'd be curious if 12 months ago was he like, "Yep, we're going to go in there and we're going to get 20 guys in the portal and we're going to and we're going to be cutting edge with this." I'm sure the answer to that was like, "Yes, like, oh, we'll use the portal." But to the level that he did, to the, the success that he did, I wonder if that was you know truly, truly intentional from the jump, or if even that surprised him a little bit now because it is funny now listening to. ASU beat writers or, you know, the, the trajectory for Colorado, depending on whoever they get, it's like, all right, we got to raid the portal. Like Lincoln has set a new precedent for what it means to get an influx of talent. And uh, obviously it's been a huge reason why, uh, why we've won. And I like how you highlighted the, uh, the rushing attack versus Notre Dame. I think that's symbolic as well, because going into the season, did I think Kevin Williams was going to win the Heisman? No, I'm not going to sit here and say that, but I knew he was going to be a really good player. I knew these receivers going to be a really good player, but the fact that we're, sitting here after Thanksgiving and we just in, in many ways out physical Notre Dame and beat him in the run game. And it was not, not only just not a weakness, but it was a strength in that game. That to me is extremely impressive to flip the script there in one year, both offensively in the rush game, but defensive line we've talked about all, all off season. To me, that was a no brainer area of weakness, area of concern for USC. And it hasn't been necessarily a huge, huge strength, but it certainly hasn't been a glaring weakness and uh, look no further than the Notre Dame game. Well, if, if people are looking at what he did as a blueprint for one-year turnarounds, good luck. You can raid the portal all you want. Very few teams are going to find a Heisman Trophy winner in there and a, and a Belitnikoff winner in there and a, and a Travis Dye and an Austin Jones uh, in, in the same portal hall and an Eric Gentry and a Makai Blackman and just go on, Mario Williams, go on and on and on. So, I mean, yeah, you can, you can point to, to that and say th- this is what's possible, but I think that's going to be the, uh, the top end of the spectrum in terms of uh, u- utilizing the portal to fix a program overnight. And uh, going back to the one-year uh, matter, so I went, went back historically to really try and, and place this in context of the, the best first-year turnarounds by by a new head coach and there are a lot of great examples but many of those occurred during the middle of a coach's tenure where he's been there three or four years they have a down year and then they bounce back and have a great year the next year or it's the coach's uh, second year or third year where he's taken a a downtrodden program and then two or three years gets them to this kind of height classic examples is 
USC's own John McKay, who came in and had uh, two kind of middling seasons to start his tenure and then goes unbeaten in year three to win the national title. But as impressive as that is, and obviously he's been the standard bearer for this program for a long time, it's still not year one. So going back through the annals of college football history, so few examples, and uh, ironically we have two this year. Because TCU and Sonny Dykes comes in, and Garrett Riley, younger brother, offensive coordinator, comes in, and they are now, of course, undefeated and number three in the playoff picture. So they have two of these in the same years. Crazy because really, over the history of college football, I only found two examples. I found two examples that kind of aligned, and one was all the way back in 1940 with Stanford. You know. <laughs> Stanford's looking back in 1940 and going, this is possible. We can do this. The ghost of Clark Shaughnessy, uh, who, who took over uh, whatever they were, one 7-1 one one team and went unbeaten the next year. But then so the, really the only comparable example in terms of modern uh, college football, modern world, is Gus Malzahn at Auburn in 2013. It takes over, I think they were a three-win team in Gene Chiswick's last year at Auburn, and Malzahn gets them to the BCS championship game, as it was called at that time, where they lost to Florida State. That's really the only comp before this year. Now you have USC and TCU. But we've heard Riley say several times over the last month, you know, people need to realize the context of this, and this doesn't happen very often. And... I mean, that's that's underselling it. It almost never happens. And so I, I enjoyed kind of going back to the history and, and seeing, like, like, what even compares to this. And, like, even even his former boss, Bob Stoops at Oklahoma, it was his second year where he turned a middling program at the time into a national champion. I'm not saying USC is going to finish the job and win a title this year, but just what he's done already is, is so rare uh, over 100-plus years of college football that – I don't think it can be stated enough that it's been one year. Going back to the game Saturday and, and then the rushing attack, and I do want to give the defense a lot of time today, but Austin Jones, what a story. And I, I tried and tried and tried to pull out that nugget of of dramatic conflict in his season where he the, – the low point where he had been, you know, rushing for 100 yards and was right there neck and neck with Travis Dye and then – Really, he's just left in the dust, left on the bench. He's a special teamer. He's getting like four or five carries a game, less than that sometimes. Where was the drama, Austin? Like, how tough was that? And he just would not give it to me. He just said, no, I'm just – I love football too much. I love this team. I just knew if I kept working, it would work out. Kudos to him. He has been so impressive, so impressive. And I was going to ask you, Max, just what – 25 carries, 154 yards this week – Every, every game he's over six yards to carry. What impresses you most about Austin Jones? What impresses me the most is that the, is the fact that it wasn't just, you know, the offensive line opening up holes or him having success because everything's wide open because our passing attack is, 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 is so strong. Like, he had yards that it's all Austin Jones. It's, you know, he's getting contact at – yard one yet he's making two guys miss and getting an eight yard gain like that was on his back i, I love he, he he seems like travis die was really patient um and obviously a big time back but i love austin's like ability to his one cut ability the one where he sees it up the field boom it's 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 juke a guy out put, put put your foot in the ground and uh, and cut up the field love the explosion there but then also the balance with it, the patience as well, I think is, is, is super impressive. But big picture, just the idea that he stayed ready and, you know, it's a testament to what Lincoln and his staff has done where you're getting these transfers that I'm sure they all came in with some sort of mindset of, obviously, I'm going to come in here, have a huge impact, play right away and turn this thing around. The fact that he's consistently been able to get guys to buy in, even though they haven't seen immediate success, like that in itself is super impressive. But... Just the fact we haven't seen a drop-off. I mean, ben, it's been his show the past couple of weeks. If we're going to recalibrate and evaluate that transfer class again, I think we'd have to say that Austin Jones has been the biggest surprise. Um, I mean, he was he was a name. He was a former, you know, big-time recruit. But he hadn't done all that much at Stanford and was coming off his worst year there. Uh, obviously, not all uh, on him. Certainly, a product of the offense and the the struggles they've had up front and in that run game. 
but I think he averaged like three and a half yards a carry last year. Just there wasn't a lot to go on to say, oh yeah, this guy is going to make a massive impact for USC, especially when he and Travis Dye commit a day apart, and you look at Dye with the four thousand career yards or whatever coming in and. It was easy to see that he would have a major role in this offense. Overall, I would say Austin Jones, to me now, has been the biggest surprise from that group. Yeah, it's funny you say that. It's a really good question because when you go down the transfers, I mean, Gentry, I knew he was going to be solid. I think he was going to be this good. Maybe not, but right. you knew he was going to be a player. Bryson Shaw, he's obviously come on the past month, obviously coming from Ohio State. Sure. You're expecting bigger things there. Shane Lee, I think that's fair. Makai Blackman, you're expecting big things in Colorado. The other surprise in the opposite direction to me it showed out a little bit in the Notre Dame game is uh Jacoby Covington in that you know I- I've covered the Huskies a little bit calling a couple of their games and he was a big name for them and kind of the-, the next up in what they call DB like West Coast DBU and the fact that he had not played significantly or like had a major role this year and then hey gets the nod versus Notre Dame and is asked to be a big physical corner in the boundary and statistically he didn't necessarily produce at extremely high level, but he's a guy where maybe I'm surprised that he has not had the impact he's had thus far yet. It does look like he's had a stronger past couple weeks and he's going to be leaned on more uh, defensively moving forward. It's a great point. And we talked to Alex Grinch about him on Tuesday and my goodness, I just even week 14 or whatever we're in, it's just so refreshing how candid he is about everything. Like, just I don't even think he's capable of like uh, of of not being just frank and blunt and forthright. So we asked him about. I was thinking the same thing Monday night. I was like, it's so refreshing to talk to a coach that doesn't feel like he needs to like hide or sell anything. He's so transparent. So awesome. transparent. We asked him about Covington, and he basically came out and said what you just said. Like, we brought him in to be a guy that was going to play immediately and make a big impact, and he didn't. So, yeah, it was disappointing initially but he's coming on now and on eye test he didn't wow me on on saturday so there's still some ways to go with him but uh definitely got to keep an eye on we'll get into the defensive grinch but i don't want to get too far down the show without getting into, into the caleb williams heisman stuff and the, the way i want to frame it because i you know he's the overwhelming overwhelming odds on favorite to win now there's really no no challenger at this point like i said i don't even know what the scenario would be for him not to win my question to you, Max, is where does he now rank in the history of USC greats, Heisman winners? We've been framing this conversation for the last month or so about him being the Heisman, the the the, the best player this year. But he's been so great that now we have to start talking about the stratosphere of USC history and, and where he fits in. Is he one of the absolute like, top few all-time greats in this program? And... You would probably have a pretty good pulse on this. You, you've certainly been immersed in it. Where do you think he slots in? Yeah, it's a good question, and uh, certainly a loaded one for, for our listeners. Because it probably depends on you know what area you, or what area you, exactly right. you grew up in and all that. Um, it, here's what I'll say: I think you know when you look back at Leinart's era, like obviously Leinart was a stud, but that's like a that's a loaded, loaded team in, in terms of the impact and you know, how valuable a player is, you're going to be hard-pressed to find another USC Trojan that meant more to their team. The other, you know, the, the OJs, the Charles Whites, I, I, I feel like I'm speaking out of turn in terms of uh, trying to measure up Caleb's impact to them. And I think it's also interesting, like, you know, Liner and Reggie, like, they won national titles. And I think that's not insignificant. And that has to, that has to mean something. Jordan Moore on our pregame show mentioned the climb of Caleb's season similar to the climb of Carson season when he won it, which, um, you know, I'm not necessarily the most uh, well-spoken or can, can speak to that the best, but I'll say this. I've, I played at USC for four years. I've been covering the game as an analyst for five. And, you know, Caleb's the best. He, Caleb is the best prospect that I've seen right now in terms of the most talented. Like, and Sean Payton was, I think, the first to really um, – put his name on that take, so to speak, this past week when he was on uh, Colin Coward's show, where he was like, hey, NFL teams might start tanking because um, you just can't win without a quarterback. And when you look at Caleb Williams, he is that good, especially this new era of quarterback. So he's right up there. It's hard to size him up against different era of Trojans. 
I think the national title probably, or I guess we'll see how things shake out for USC, but that probably gives the edge from a USC legacy standpoint to the other guys that have won. But that's not to say that Caleb uh, can't get one. He's got, got more time ahead of him, obviously. Yeah, I, I think ultimately where the season ends up will help answer that question. And, you know, certainly context is everything. And what Leinert and Reggie Bush did was not just about one season. It was about what they built over several years and, and really turned that program to be in the spotlights. And that will never be forgotten. But just in terms of a singular talents, um, I would love to hear more and more input from people who have maybe a, a, a deeper perspective and, and can bridge the eras a little bit. But I just I, – I know I've been watching college football for over two decades, and he's the best quarterback I've seen. That's I just I'm, I'm I'm confident in saying that because of everything he does, the poise, the just unnatural pocket presence, and just sensing everything around him. I'm confident in saying that I've never seen anybody that I would put above him at the college game. I'm with you, and uh, at the beginning of the season, I. Uh... I made a Sam Donald comparison, and I do think there's a lot of similarities. But and I thought Sam was a hell of a prospect coming out of coming out of college. But I think Caleb edges that out. He's a notch more mobile. Um, arm strength doesn't take a back seat. Um, anticipation, just just everything, and the fact that it came together this quickly. And, and, and I, I do like your point about hey, guys like Carson and Matt. They you know they brought USC back back on the map like that where we are watching that unfold right now like yep. Caleb Williams will be remembered as sparking this new era of uh USC football without him we uh we are not here and the other point is that he has another year and so it's it's not if he was just a one-year rental and this was going to be the only uh, experience that USC fans had with him it may be harder to, to vault him uh, to the very uh, upper echelon of that list but if he comes back and and is this good or better next year? That's a pretty large sample size with which to compare. So the Caleb Williams story is very much still being written, but I, I think he's the next Patrick Mahomes, and, and maybe it's not fair to compare players to, to either player, but um, he's, he's the next transformative QB prospect for the next level. I'm, I'm just convinced of that. We are on a shorter segment today because we're going to get into our Utah breakdown with our Utah insider Alex Markham, but let's talk about the defense and Alex Grinch. And certainly the last two weeks have really gotten the job done in different ways, in different ways, especially this game made a statement, like we said, with Holden Notre Dame with under 100 rushing yards and a couple more turnovers. And where I want to go with this is, is the turnover mentality that we've talked about all season long. I asked Grinch on Tuesday, I wanted to get to the origin of this, the, the origin of this turnover mentality. And I asked a bunch of players, like, when was the first time he brought this up? And... To a man, they're all like the very first time he talked to us. <laughs> like it was like the first thing he said. It's his emphasis. So I asked Grinch, I'm like, like where does this come from? And he's a bit of a mad scientist when, when you get him going on things. And like his mind just works so fast and he gets talking fast and covering a lot of ground and bouncing all around. He's throwing out stats and, and studies and, and going, uh, you know, empirical data shows you that if you have 24 turnovers, that equates to nine wins almost every time. And and this and that, and he goes, there was a study done on NFL preseason games, which is the, the great equalizer because you, you have, you know, first-teamers and third-teamers, and it's a mix of, of players. But across the board, the team with more turnovers won X percentage of games. And it was really enlightening into just the way his mind works, the way he studied the game, uh, studied analytics, and just has convinced himself that this is the most important thing that we can be good at. And maybe that's because of the personnel that he inherited, knowing that there was going to be weaknesses to offset. But, you know, we've said it before, it's not a fluke. And after the game, the players kind of got a little defensive about that and said, you know, people want to say it's it's luck that we keep doing this. It's not luck. This is like, this is who we are. And that comes from Grinch. And I guess if there's a identity I would want to have defensively, it's taking the ball away as much as they do. It's, it's really impressive. Yeah, your point about the, the preseason games, he shared that with us on, uh, on Monday Night Trojans Live. I thought it was super interesting just to expand on that a little bit. He said, you know, every – we did a, a study in which, like you said, third stringers, first stringers, all of that, like what is the impact of turnovers in a game? Well, it doesn't matter what yards you get. You know, third downs are critical measuring stick. Red zones a measuring stick, measuring stick. But 
but uh, turnovers specifically, and it was clear as day. You win the turnover margin, it's disproportionately able to, to, to win the game. And I think what sticks out to me most about this USC defense is, you know, oftentimes when teams give a bunch of yards, they start panicking, right? They start, you know, finger pointing a little bit. They, they, you can get down, and it can be a snowball effect, especially at the college level with momentum. With this defense, they don't blink when they do get beat, and I think it allows them to get back up and, and, and create those turnovers. Like, even in that game, right, uh, Michael Mayer, he's doing some good things, getting on top of safeties, you know, having the two touchdown catches, but you're not blinking, and you're trusting. And I also think, and, and to finish that point, like, Caleb Bullock then comes up with a big-time uh, interception. And I also think Caleb Williams does have an impact on this defense in that when you know you do not have to keep a team under 20 to win the game, even under 30 at this point. I do think that allows the defense to stay engaged when things aren't going their way, knowing that, hey, guys, all we got to do is just get one of these one of these turnovers. It's like searching, searching for that like little pot of gold, and it seems like every single week you find it, but it's psycho- like, like, like mentally, I think it's a big reason why, um, you know, just the, the, the idea that Grinch is able to keep guys believing, keep guys engaged, even when they are giving up yards. It's, uh, it's, been, it's, it's been remarkable to see, and the idea that they're plus 22, it's not even close. Like, that, that number is ridiculous. The second-place team is not even close, and credit Grinch, you get what you emphasize, and he's been uh, emphasizing turnovers. Yeah, I think they were eight or nine ahead of the next closest team in the country in terms of turnover differential. That's crazy. Just, just running away with it. They're at the top of a lot of national stats, the third down conversions and, and other stuff. I mean, this is a team that's just just very well put together across the board. All the talk about Caleb Williams and, and the Heisman maybe overshadows a little bit that Tuli Tuipilotu is like a top three or four finalist for every major award that he's applicable for. And having one of the great defensive seasons in recent USC history, it's it's past the point of talking about will he be an All-American. Uh, he has a chance to take home one of these top national prizes as well. Um, we'll see what happens. But, you know, he's certainly stamped his place on this team. And I think that down the road, if it doesn't happen this year, I think that Kalen Bullock is an All-American caliber player. He's got five picks now. I think a full season of a healthy Eric Gentry, maybe he can get to that level at, at some point. There is talent on this defense, is what I'm saying. You're spot on. The Thule thing is so impressive, um, and it was cool seeing Gr- Grinch's reaction to, you know, what Thule's meant to this team. Because for me, like I, I knew Thule was a-, a-, a good player, really good player this time last year, but to this level, like this jump, I was not expecting this. And it's cool to see how Grinch's defense has utilized them. And I think the nature of Grinch's defense you know, utilizes the skill sets for a Thule really, really well. And for those athletic defensive linemen, the shifting, the slanting, the ability to play inside and then stand up and then move them around, like that is what Thule Tuipilotu is. So I think the marriage of Thule and Grinch stylistically is a big reason why this this played out. And I'm fascinated to see how Thule's future plays out because, you know, when you watch him on film, he can play inside and he can be that interior presence. When I met him in, or when I, I was next to him in, in person on Monday night, he's not crazy big. Like, he's not the biggest defensive lineman in the world, hence why he's a little bit more athletic. And so with that, he could be a 3-4 outside linebacker. He could be a 4-3 defensive end. All those positions are vastly different, yet I think there's, he could have a future at all of them. So interesting to see how he goes, but cool to see how uh, Grinch has – utilize a defensive player's skill set. Usually you always see like offensive players moving around and Jordan Addison lined up inside, outside, running back, whatever. You don't always see that from a defensive player. And credit Grinch for uh, mixing things up so offenses can't key on Thule. Good stuff. I was going to get us to the, our predictions to close it out, but I forgot our best segment. We didn't do it yet. Your favorite Lincoln Riley play call from last week. I would be depriving entire fan base if I didn't get back to this. So the spotlight is yours, Max. What was your favorite Lincoln Riley play call from this game? My favorite Lincoln Riley play call came early on in this game. But it was like 14 minutes left in the first quarter. The pass to Lake McCree early on that uh, fooled me up in the booth, and I'm sure it fooled uh, the broadcast as well. Um, nothing flashy per se, but it's calls like this that make this USC offense. You just can't guard it. When they're doing stuff like this, you you really can't guard. Um, you really can't guard them. 
you fake the inside zone to the left. Then you roll out right with Caleb Williams. So first, you're having to navigate Austin Jones. Second, you're having to navigate Caleb Williams on the move. Third, you're having Jordan Addison as a decoy going right to left on like a swoop motion like he's going to have a reverse. That's a decoy in itself. And then, oh, the fourth option, all of, all of which is ha- playing out in like one second of real time, fourth option is Lake McCree into the flat. Like, good luck defending that. This USC offense has so many weapons. Go back and watch that play. It's cool not only because of the design itself, but also just how seamless it comes about, right? That's the second play of the game. Like, usually with average offensive coordinators, you feel like that's the type of play, like, they load up for throughout the game. The fact fact that Lincoln's throwing it out there, second play, like, love his play calling, love the creativity, and love how uh, every single skill player on this offense is uh, always an option on every single play. Yeah, I, I tweeted right after that play that I thought that if he had given it to Addison, he probably could have gone for 20 or 30 yards given the space ahead of him. Which is why they called it uh, call the reverse like a couple plays later. I, yeah. I, I loved it. Exactly. Yep. Uh, and I said, man, you got to be a special play caller when, when both of your options would have gone for 30 yards. But um, good choice. Good choice. Well, let's close that with predictions and, and just quick thoughts on the rematch. Obviously, everyone knows what happened the first time, the one-point loss on the bold two-point conversion call by Utah in the final minute. Tough game with, obviously, Gentry and Addison went down that game. Some questionable calls factored in. Um, we've talked a lot about with the team about it being a not a turning point, but a, a, a point where they really realized what they had within them and, and saw that, hey, we can, we can go from here and get to our top goals. And here they are. It's all in front of them. It would be the just the second Pac-12 title in 14 years for this program, which is I had to like go back and look at that three times to make sure I wasn't missing anything. That's that's significant. Overall, what are your thoughts on the rematch? And give us your, your score prediction. Yeah, overall, big picture thoughts. Um, I think I like this matchup for SC, especially uh, you know playing the, uh, the, the 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 rematch role. Utah is banged up much more than, than USC at this point, which is obviously an advantage um, USC. I think not playing in Rice-Eccles will be a factor. However, USC fans got to show up because Utah is going to travel, uh, travel extremely well. Cam Rising has not played to the level that he played this time last year. Um, had the dud game against Oregon, so obviously a good player, but uh, not playing where he was at. And then, Utah, I feel like they, 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 they missed the weapon on the outside at the receiver spot. They have fine receivers, but the offense is still rolling through the tight ends, which um, is very similar to Notre Dame in that regard. But ultimately, I'm going USC wins. Um, Utah is going to show up. They're going to they're gonna play. I think it'll be – I think it'll be 30 – I'll go 34 to 28. Um, USC takes care of business. Good deal. Good deal. Yeah, Dalton Kincaid, who obviously uh... – Brutalized the Trojans last time, got hurt late in the game last week against Colorado. Uh, Willie Hammond said that he expects him to play. He said, I, I can't guarantee it, but I, I expect him to play. Um, obviously, a, a massive pivotal factor there, whether he's at full strength or not, we will see. I just think that the Trojans are rolling now. I think that this is just um, it's going to be a much different game than last time. I'm going 41-27, to 27, another decisive victory for USC. There we go. Hope it happens. It'll be fun. We'll come back to you next week with, uh, I'm sure, plenty to talk about. And always enjoy doing it. Max, thank you. It was fun. Thanks, Ryan. All right. Next on to the show to give us a much deeper look into the Utah Utes. We bring on our insider, Alex Markham from Ute Nation. Alex, how goes it? Ryan, how's it going, buddy? How you doing, man? Good. Excited for this week. It's, it's going to be a fun game, man. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you. I mean, a re- rematch again, you know. And you know, when it when it comes down to it, you and me have kind of talked in the past and stuff like that. It kind of seemed like Utah and USC was a budding rivalry. I'm sure that Utah fans still feel that same way. But you know, who, who knows if the the new USC coaching staff actually feels that way? So it, it should be a fun weekend. No, it was, it was interesting. Uh, Tuli Tui Pelotu referred to it as, you know, obviously this is a rivalry. And uh, I was kind of surprised to hear him say that, but then I thought back to the the way the recent games have gone. I'm like, yeah, it kind of is. Yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of funny, right, because Utah just got done with Colorado. And, oh, gosh. I mean, I, I, 
I don't think you were doing anything with any of the teams in the conference at the time. But when uh, when Utah came in, you know, they really tried forcing a rivalry out of that, calling it Rumble and the Rockies. And, oh man, <laughs> I mean, you talk about you talk about a one sided rivalry. And, uh, oh geez, it's 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 so forced. It's just kind of kind of laughable, right? You know. And so ever since Utah's came in, I mean, you can never you can never replace the long-standing rivalries really with a with a new rivalry right you know it's it's just kind of one of those things it's college football lore but um you know when it comes down to it i mean with the pac-12 i mean usc and and uh, arizona state have really kind of turned that way for utah hell even the last few years utah and oregon so but utah and usc man every time they play it's it's always entertaining so it's it's gonna be a it's gonna be a good matchup on friday Lincoln Riley clearly had a directive to his team not to make a big deal about this being a revenge game or, or about this being about the last meeting. But for fans, I think it worked out perfectly to get another shot at Utah. What what was last week like just watching the dominoes fall and the pieces unfold that made this happen? <laughs> Man, I'll tell you. So I called it doable chaos, right? You know, I mean, obviously – um, you know, Utah did it self-inflicted the week before where all they had to do is went out and they were controlling their own destiny. You know, uh, this isn't something that's really been talked about uh, too much, but, you know, how how you how USC fans like to talk about the officiating um, and some of the, what they thought was miscalls at, during the Utah game. You know, Utah got out to Oregon um, and uh, they only had their, uh, they only had their, cleats for the turf from what i've been told right and uh and uh, <laughs> it was cold enough apparently oregon did some stuff with the field and it was a little slicker you know and so you know that that's on utah right but uh you know still self-inflicted all of a sudden it goes into having to rely on you know all these teams to do all these things but the beauty of it was is the reason i called it doable chaos is um, you, you know, you take a look at all those games. UCLA was was favored, right? Washington was favored. Utah was obviously favored, and it was, you know, the, Utah could have ran out their second and third team for the entire game, still won that game. Yeah. You know, and then you look at Oregon and Oregon State, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, Oregon was the perceived favorite on that, but I, I can't, I don't have the, stat, the, the stats in front of me, but Oregon State had had, a long run of success for over for past a decade even at their home field against Oregon. So everything kind of lined up, but even when, when Oregon, man, I'm telling you, when Oregon went up, um, was it 20 or 21? Um, 21 I was, points, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I was, uh, I, I didn't make it out to the Colorado game myself, and so I was watching over, over at uh, my buddy's bar that, uh, that you've gone to with me, and uh, <laughs> so nice. we're watching the youth. Yeah, so we're, we're watching the Utah game on the big screen, watching the Oregon game just off the side of it. Man, there were there were some Oregon fans there, and you know they they went up twenty one, and I looked at the guys and I said, "Hey, go have fun in Vegas." <laughs> and oh gosh, man, you talk you talk about uh, you talk about an interesting comment, and then just to see that unravel, wow, that was that was nuts. Very nice. The biggest, the biggest cheer in the Colorado game actually was when they announced the uh, the score to the Oregon game. Yeah. Well, so we get the rematch. It's a two and a half point spread. But if you were to listen to Kyle Whittingham, you would think that it was a uh, thirty one point spread based on the underdog uh, status he's uh, he's embracing in this matchup. You know what? I mean, here's here's the thing. On it. I, I I know a lot of USC fans have just been like, "Oh yeah, leave it to Whittingham." I was trying to create something out of this and, and form a chip, even though, even though maybe it shouldn't fully be there. I and mean, here's the thing, though, Ryan. Like, I mean, what Caleb's already the anointed Heisman winner, right? Um, so many nationally are trying to already say USC is in the CFP, which is baffling to me, right? You know, because. You know, here, here's how I look at it. USC is a good football team, um, but at the same time, too, I mean, Utah, Utah dealt with this at the start of the season, the manufactured hype. Okay, everybody wanted to see a Pac-12 team in the CFP. Um, Utah early on was not near as good as everybody had built, right? You know, and so I, it, I, I feel like that's kind of playing a factor into it when, 
in reality, you know, again, I'm not taking anything away from USC, okay? USC is a great football team, but this game and these teams are a lot closer matched than a lot of the conversation is going right now on, on the national airways. Fair enough. I think that USC fans are certainly respecting the challenge of the matchup, though, especially after what happened in October. Let's get into the matchup and, and kind of get into the, the youth side of things here. First of all, I'm fascinated by the Tavian Thomas situation. He, he's just done for the rest of the, of the way. Was it was it an injury or he, other factors? What kind of spurred that? I mean, <laughs> yeah. So they'll, 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 they'll say it's internal. Uh, they'll, they'll allow Tavion to call it a toe. Um, I'm, I'm not denying that it had something to do with the toe injury. But, um, yeah, he has been a headache pretty much the entire football season and into last off season, And, um, you know, it, it was interesting to watch some of the guys in the, in the Colorado game because you could kind of tell, like, a dark cloud had been lifted. So, um, yeah, it was it was not an injury. I mean, like, look, if if anybody wants to dispute me on that, if Davion wants to hear this and wants to come and, and dispute me, all you got to do is go back to his social media page. And ever since then, he's not even making a comment about the guys during their game last Saturday. And if he's talking anything, he talks about himself. So, yeah, no, um, there he's he's off and, and Utah is better for it to be honest he was not he really only had a, a outstanding last second half of the 2021 season um he rarely regained that form at all this year it was it was that bad well they certainly have talent in that backfield still who's really been a standout uh without him who's kind of taking the lead there you know, and that, that's the crazy thing. You know, you, you mentioned that. I mean, Utah's always got a good running game. But, um, you know, there's been injuries, and they've really had to dive into their depth. And then, um, you know, transitioning former quarterback Jaquinnon Jackson, who's six two, 230 pounds, um, over over to running back. It's, uh, it's taken some time to develop him, but things have really kind of clicked for him the last two games. I know one of... The big regrets for Utah in the Oregon game is the fact that he only got three carries. But because if you go back and you watch those carries, how he was running compared to Tavion, it's a huge difference. And uh, you know, you go back and you watch that Colorado game, and he busted a 66-yard touchdown. That is six foot two, 230 pounds. He's hitting that second and third level, and he's just that often with a with a guy that big. Um, additionally. Makai Bernard, um, you know, he's played the majority of the season for Utah. He hasn't been healthy up until, I, I would say, legitimately his first game at 100% health was the uh, was the Colorado game. Um, and he's looking a lot more like himself. And so those two right there are a good one-two combo. Um, freshman Jalen Glover, who was a four-star recruit coming out of Florida, Florida Gatorade Player of the Year last year. Um, he's a he's a solid third option, um, but you're probably going to be looking at um, Bernard and and Jackson. Um, and when it really when it comes down to it, again, I mean, you guys saw it in the USC game. Makai is such a a valuable weapon um, in the passing game out of the backfield, and so that's that's where he's probably going to be utilized the most but he'll be utilized more in the running game than he would have been in the in the U, in the first usc game gotcha good stuff uh cam rising is not fully healthy um has not been running as much of late where would you kind of gauge him on the one to 100 percent scale of where he's at and how much has that, that changed the offense not having his full dual threat abilities you know with that i mean you, you watch him you watch him at the games in the last two weeks he's had the, the bigger knee brace right um didn't do well against oregon um you know again if that thing is true about the cleats in the field like i was talking about that can that can make a little bit more sense because of him having the knee injury and why he was so off that game right again that's not an excuse they had the opportunities to win and they and they didn't do it um but cam you know it's, it's tough to gauge a percentage because we don't get to watch practice, and Utah's coaches keep that extremely close to the vest. Um, even at that, like when when we're able to know 
know certain things. Uh, if, if we put it out, we 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 get scolded by the SIDs at Utah. Um, but what I what I can tell you is, I mean, look, he's not going to be the complete running threat that he was against USC. Which that's he he actually got hurt in that game and played through it. So that that tells you a lot about his toughness. Um, but his his passes, at least in the Colorado game seemed to be a lot more on point, um, fitting it into the tight windows, had the confidence back. So there, you know, granted it was, it was one half because Utah was blowing them out so bad. Yes, it was just Colorado. Um, but you know, at the same time too, I mean, US, USC's past defense isn't, isn't the greatest. So, um, you know, there, there's opportunities there for Cam. He's, he's definitely not a hundred percent though. The other big health question of course is Dalton Kincaid who, I guess got hurt on a touchdown reception last week. I heard what Winningham said that he expects him to play. Uh, what's your your pulse on that? And and if he does play, is, is there a chance that he's not the same guy? Dalton's a dog, man. Um, he's he's going to be out there. He'll he'll be playing. Um, there's there's no there's no way he'd miss a game like this. Um, you know, and so with within all that stuff, how effective he is, um, you know, it's 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 yet to be yet to be determined. I mean. To me, everything I heard is it was more that he was extremely sore. It, it was a bad fall. It was it was a really bad fall. So he's he's lucky that it um, wasn't something that would keep him out a long time. But uh, you know the the beauty of he he's he's kind of battled some injuries since that USC game as well. Okay, um, so that's where like with with him and Rising going down, um, that's where you had kind of seen the offense tell off a little bit up until recently. But within all that, Utah has had the emergence of another tight end, Thomas Yasmin. Man, just go back and watch the Colorado highlights and see him take a short pass, hurdle over a guy, and start juking his way and busting past everybody the end zone. It's uh, Utah's got an embarrassment of Rick as a tight end. And, um, yeah, man, I mean, Dalton, Dalton will be in there. But it, it also wouldn't surprise me if uh, as Yasmin is uh, – is the leader um, yards wise from the tight end position this game, and that's 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 saying that's saying nothing bad about that's saying nothing bad about Kincaid's health. It's just saying everything to the fact of, um, you know, Yasmin is is an emerging threat. If uh, if USC doesn't take him serious enough, you know, I, I know USC has struggled with tight ends. Um, Yasmin's enough to Yasmin's enough to burn him. Yeah, well, that's that Kincaid performance from October has like haunted this defense ever since, or at least the fan base. So everybody in the stadium, and I'm sure every USC fan and even every USC player knew the ball was going to Kincaid the majority of the time, and you couldn't do anything to stop it. That was no. that was one of the craziest yeah. performances I've ever seen from, you know, from a receiving threat. It was it was nuts. It was, and I'm not sure what adjustment they make this week, but um, I'm sure they'll try and do something different on him. But that's obviously one of the main storylines of the game, and the last thing that USC fans want to hear is that there's there's two tight ends to worry about. So, <laughs> good stuff. Well, I mean, you, you add to the fact of that, too, it's, you know, Utah's leading receiver is Devon Vele. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, the guy the guy is six foot five, over 200 um, he's, he's six foot five and close to 220 pounds, right? And so, um, long wingspan, um, huge catch radius. I mean, yeah, he's he's a wide receiver, but when they want to run him, as a when they when they want to run, spread him out and run him in, you know, one of those sets that maybe like a, a Brant Keithy would have ran before he got hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this that's dangerous. So, yeah, I mean, Utah's wide receivers aren't going to scare anybody. Um, but Vele is that one that can do it, and then yeah, I mean, just all 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 their all their big threats are are big targets. So yeah, def- that's definitely something that you know could cause USC trouble. Well, obviously, the last time these teams met, there was not much defense uh, played overall. But you were telling me earlier this week that, that the Utah defense has really kind of turned the corner. I know that I listened to, again to that Winningham press conference, and he was talking about that that second half against USC being the turning point for that unit. What's different with the suits defense? You know, it's reps. It really, it really is. It's, it's reps. Um, what I've kind of noticed over the years and I've covered this team since 2011. Okay. Is 
the Utah's defense can can be complex at times, and so because of that, um, there it, it can take some guys a little bit a little bit longer to to learn it in key positions. You're you're seeing that from the linebacker position, okay? Um, with Mo Diabate as well as Lander Barton, um, both of those guys have came on really strong lately. Um, additionally, safety position, you know, Malone Montale was playing nickelback he recently went into the transfer portal malone's a great guy right but um but um he was he was getting beat more frequently than the others in the in the secondary you know there's there's no other way to put it and so um utah it, it hasn't been solely cole bishop but um cole bishop is sacrificed at safety and, and moved to nickelback and really kind of shored that up and they've been able to do that because a lot of the safeties that they brought in in the offseason, which is another position that can be a little bit more difficult to catch on to immediately at Utah, um, you know, those, those guys have caught on, you know, and so those are those are two crucial positions within this offense. Um, outside of that, when Utah was playing USC, at the very start of the season, they had three defensive tackles quit. Um, one was right before the Florida game, and two were right after the Florida game. Okay, um, and so within all that, they were having to build that depth back up again, you know. And so it was the, the defense was going through some turmoil early in the season, um, and they've they've really they've really shored that up. Um, Smote Peppa has been a huge integral part of everything along with Junior Kafuna now. Uh, again, it's just everything about this defense feels different. I also feel like that USC game was kind of a, a coming out party um, as uh, as the next big Utah cornerback for Samaya Vaughn. And he's, oh, excuse me, he's just continued and continued to progress since then. Um, he's six foot, he's six foot three and runs a sub four three forty. You know, um, really good, really good cover corner. So Utah's got the dogs. They've got the horses to be able to keep up with USC's offense. And the the one thing about Utah, too, in these big games, man, is there's when when it comes to Utah's defense, there's no room for error against Utah's defense. They Utah, you'll you'll be in a close game against Utah, and you can make you can make the smallest error. Utah's defense will take advantage of it, and then next thing you know, it's a uh, it's a multiple score lead. Well, to, to bring it full circle to all the national uh, attention on Caleb Williams and and everything, what is your confidence level that the youths can do a better job containing Caleb Williams than anyone else has done this last uh, six seven weeks? You know, it's when when I talked about rivalry at the start of this. You know, what what do you do with rivalry games? You you take all the stats and you throw them out the window. Right. Um, so one of the big things Utah has going for them is the been there, done that aspect of everything. Right. They've they've been to the Pac-12 championship game. This will be the fourth time in five years. Um, they're you know they're coming back to defend their crown. Uh, so a lot of guys know what it takes on on that on that stage on that scene. Right. Um, you know USC's got a great coach for that in in Lincoln Riley. Um, but you know, Utah definitely, Utah definitely has the upper hand in in that experience, and so I think that that's going to go a long ways for Utah in this. So my confidence level, you know, it's uh, I, I feel I feel good about Utah coming out with I feel good about Utah coming out with the win, just primarily because Cam seems to be more of himself now. Utah shored up the running game and seems to have a, a really good combo there now as well as the defense is really peaking at the right time of the year. I mean, you know, Utah lost to Oregon, man, but that was not on the defense. That was not on the defense at all. They were they were stingy as hell that entire game. Uh, in the first half against Colorado, Colorado right up to halftime had negative yards. You know, they'd only, they'd only had one first down with like a couple minutes left in the first half. So Utah's, Utah's defense is no slouch. They've improved tremendously. I, I know... And look, I know USC's offense has has really improved and, and done well. Austin Jones has stepped in and um, and really picked up for Travis Dye, which that was heartbreaking. Um, he's he's such a good dude. You you hate seeing something like that happen. Yep. Um, but 
honestly, man, I just I expect a really damn good game. I feel good about Utah coming out. But again, it's it is a form of a rivalry game. Anything anything can happen. Well, let's close with a score prediction. What do you have? Oh gosh, man. Let's uh, let's see here. Yeah. So uh, what what everybody doesn't know is uh, you and me have uh, been working on some collaborative pieces. So God, I can't even I can't even remember I can't even remember what I put it to here. I want to say, oh gosh. You know, I believe I. It was something around forty. It was something around. Um, let's see. I want to say it was forty-five to thirty-four, something like that, for Utah. Um, okay. And I, I, I could, I could be off a little bit. I mean, look, it, it should still be a high-scoring game. Um, I full, I fully expect Utah to make to be the one making the crucial stops. Um, you know, one thing Utah needs to hope for, which it, it doesn't seem like USC's kicking game has been that great either. Um, but um, the one thing Utah needs to hope for is that they don't have to rely on their place kicker in a, in a crucial time of the game. You know, because that that easily could be summed up as you know Cam had a difficult game against Oregon, but you know Utah had to go for it. They they missed one field goal that was under 40 yards and then they had to go for it at their own 11 and at their own um so they, they went for it at the 11 and then they went for it at the 26 both spots that should be easy field goals right yeah. and and utah just barely lost that game so if if utah's if utah's kicker has to be out in crucial points that's trouble for utah that's that's extreme trouble for utah well, great insight, Alex. We appreciate it. And like you said, we have some uh, collaborations that we'll be posting on the site here soon. Yeah, it should be a great game, and I'll see you in, in Vegas. Sounds good, man. Hit me up when you're out there. It's going to be good seeing you. You got it. Always great having Max Brown on, on the show. I mean, we've been doing it for four years now, so I love getting his uh, his takes and his the breakdowns we've been doing of, uh, of his favorite play calls of the week this year has been my favorite segment. So uh, always – Love to get him to put that analyst hat on and, and go into the X's nose, and I feel like I learned something each time. And then great insight on the Utes from Alex Markham. Can't wait to get to Las Vegas. Still trudging through the last of our stories and some features we want to get posted. And um, who knows when I will get to Las Vegas, but I will be there. Myself and Jeff McCullough will be there as the TrojanSports.com team, and we'll have all the coverage for you pregame, postgame, aftermath etc stick with us and if you're not subscribed join us in our in-game discussion on our Trojan talk board it's it's always fun it's one of my favorite parts of game day is is chopping it up with all our subscribers and uh, uh riding the ebbs and flows of the action and, and, and the real-time responses and um it's it's always a good time and we've had obviously our best our best game game day threads this year so uh join us on there and get all of our coverage and We'll come back in some form or fashion on the podcast, I would assume, next week. That there's going to be something to react to, break down, and discuss. Thank you very much for listening all season.